Welcome to Development Insights by Choice Hotels Canada, the podcast where we discuss the topics currently facing our franchisees and the hospitality industry at large. I'm Sasha Fanian with Choice Hotels Canada's content team, and I'm joined by our Ontario Director of Franchise Development, Graham Marsh. How are you doing, Graham? Great, Sasha. Thanks for, uh, thanks for including me. Oh, well, we're very happy to have you here. Well, we've recently achieved a new milestone in Canada with the opening of the 100th Quality Brand Hotel, and we thought it'd be interesting to take a look at the development of the mid-scale brand segment as a whole. We've seen the definition of mid-scale change a lot since the first quality was opened in Canada in the 60s, and I suspect we'll see further changes still as people return to work and guests' expectations evolve. We'll be discussing this topic with our guest, Vice President and Practice Leader of Hospitality and Gaming at Cushman & Wakefield, Brian Flood. Formerly a Senior Managing Partner for CBRE Hotels, Brian has more than 30 years of experience providing advisory and valuation services to the hospitality industry and is a member of the Appraisal Institute of Canada. How are you, Brian? Good morning. Uh, doing well. Uh, thank you for the invitation today. We're really happy to have you here. Just to get things started, with all the changes we've seen over the course of the pandemic, things like cleaning changes, breakfast options, staffing, what sort of long-term impacts do you think we'll see in the mid-scale segment? Yeah, I, I, there's certainly some implications for uh, hotel operations going forward. I think we are seeing changes in approach and, and management. And, and, and I think part of that relates to, you know, the level of service and the types of services provided in hotels. So I do think we'll see more technology used for things like self-check-in and check-out, a little less personal contact, unfortunately, which I think is a consequence of COVID. And I think as well, brand standards are evolving to allow for more flexibility around things such as housekeeping. So in a lot of hotels now, what we see our housekeeping is being provided on request. And part of that is, again, is, is COVID related. And, and also, I think, because of some of the uh, current staffing issues that we're seeing. So I think some of these changes will likely stay in place. And, and I, I think certain areas such as the technology piece will continue to expand as it relates to operation of hotels. Spot on. I think uh, Brian's right. I think it's just going to be the evolution of what client needs are and what the guest expects when they come in the door to meet that standard. So when we're when we classify mid scale or, or upper mid scale, it, it's going to have to tie in. It comes back to amenities and and what the guest expectations are. And you know, as we navigate COVID, it's it's hard to know what those expectations are. You know, you hear it out in the field that there's people that still expect a big buffet breakfast. It's like they they've been hiding in the woods, and then you get. <laughs> People that don't want to be anywhere around other people. So, like I said, I think Brian nailed it with uh, with expectations. And sort of speaking about that, the distinction between mid scale and upper mid scale. You think that with people returning to travel, with business travel returning, there'll be more demand for that upper mid scale product versus mid scale, just over you know safety concerns. So, I think what's what's really important to understand is that with any with any brand. I think even with the same flag, a, a new a new comfort inn is going to be upper mid scale, you know. And then we can look at some of our older properties that we would say, you know, are, are mid scaled. And that comes down to amenities, you know, the bricks and mortar and what they can provide. Amenities are what are going to be the difference between the mid scale and the upper mid scale. But I have to believe that there's going to be a stronger push for guests to want to find an up, upper mid scale property simply based on. The amenities, like you said, and and some of them are health related, a lot of them are service related, and 
and then the other are technology related. Yeah, I think the decision on whether people choose mid-scale or upper mid-scale, part of that I think is driven by the market that the hotel competes in. And I think, you know, to Graham's point, even within the brands, there are graduations, uh, even within the same brand family. And uh, the lines become quite blurred from property to property and brand to brand. And, and I think sometimes people have some challenges uh, discerning what exactly or what category that hotel fits into. I think from an ownership standpoint, you know, the decision whether to develop uh, mid-scale or upper mid-scale is really driven by the market that they're competing in. You know, and certainly in some markets, a mid-scale property where there's less competition uh, will work very, very well. And the hotel will compete very effectively in larger urban markets where there's a much wider array of product for the consumer to choose from. I think customers are becoming, I think their expectations continue to increase and evolve. And so in those markets, those competitive markets, uh, upper mid-scale may work better in, in most cases. It's a little bit nebulous what really distinguishes a mid-scale hotel from upper mid-scale, but what would you say is really needed to achieve an upper mid-scale product? I don't mind answering this just from my perspective on the brand side. Upper mid-scale is, I would have to think, is is newly renovated or newly built. New is nice, and, and I think that just sort of speaks volumes to what a guest would expect when they're when they're paying what an upper mid-scale price differential might be. And then I would tie amenities into that. And I think amenities, as we we would remember, have probably changed as as the younger generations come up. You know, we always thought amenities were were hot breakfast, swimming pool, things of that nature. I think amenities now are you know speed of Wi-Fi, um, charging stations for cars, uh, you know, things of that nature. And and I think Brian has some good ideas. We were talking earlier about what amenities and, and the difference of what a guest expectation of an, uh, of an amenity actually is. Yeah, I think certainly, uh, you know, there are some clear differentiators, you know, with upper mid scale, I think certainly the quality of, of the building, you know, the quality of the finishes, the quality of the FF&E in the rooms, you know, the public areas might be a little more generous, probably have more services. You know, you may have a, a food and beverage offering, uh, likely have a pool and and maybe a larger uh, gym facility as well. Um, so I think those are some of the clearer differentiators uh, between between mid scale and and uh, upper mid scale. And and I think as well the service level. I think uh, upper mid scale. I think the expectation is that there's a little bit higher service levels as well. As you guys alluded to, uh, when it comes to amenities, we've seen an increase in what guests are expecting. But is that something you think will continue out once we see the pandemic end or move on? And do you think these additional amenities services really increase hotel value? Well, I, I think from my perspective, um, you know, I, I think part of the the job of a of a hotelier, I guess, is to uh, anticipate the needs of their their guest, and and so they they really do need to know and understand their guest. And I think once they do that, then, you know, I think they're uh, in a much better position to, uh, to deliver, you know, the service. Um, I, I think a lot of it these days really revolves around service. And, and I think, you know, the more that the hotelier is in touch with their customer and caters to their needs, then obviously that's going to bode well. Their repeat business is going to be relatively high and all of which translates. I mean, if you're running higher occupancy and a higher rate, that translates into a higher value, no question. 
Graham, your thoughts? Well, just that, I, th I think Brian nailed it, you know, know your audience. At the end of the day, you know, we have the luxury of being the largest franchisor across the country and, and often in tertiary, tertiary markets, secondary markets. And as long as the product's clean and the guest knows that the experience is going to meet their expectations with regards to cleanliness and, you know, service, Brian, Brian alluded to service, which is a huge thing. I, I think the amenities can be as simple as increased parking for for the fisherman who's got his boat behind his truck, uh, you know, things of that nature. Again, going back to, to sort of the bricks and mortar and the layout of the land, I think know your audience and, and cater to that. And in that guest's mind, that could meet mid, upper mid scale. Whereas mm -hmm. somebody coming out of the city to a secondary market might see that as being a, you know, an amenity that's not uh, necessary to them. And therefore it's still mid scale in their mind. Brian, you mentioned the importance of service. You know, this is the hospitality industry uh, well, being welcoming is an important facet, but with the staffing challenges many hotels are facing, how important is it to you know, recruit and uh, maintain those uh, frontline staff who can provide that sort of bespoke experience? Yeah, well, it's critical. I mean, I think, you know, Graham would certainly know uh, well-trained and experienced staff are, are invaluable. You know, currently what we're seeing are you know, limitations on the ability of hotels to even meet current demand because they don't have the staff. Uh, in fact, I, I went to a well-known restaurant uh, just a couple of days ago uh, and didn't think there would be any problem, you know, getting a table. And I was told, well, we're not busy, but the problem is we don't have staff, so we can't, we can't actually seat you. Uh, and I've talked to a number of hotel operators that are unable to uh, even open all their rooms or unable to open uh, the restaurant because they have no staff. Um, so, you know, staffing, you know, experienced front desk people that, you know, know their customer, you know, managers that know and understand their customers' needs are, are critically important. Um, I think with, you know, particularly um, when you're dealing with, you know, younger travelers and from where Graham and I sit, millennials and uh, Gen Z are certainly younger, they're much more discerning. And, and I think they expect a higher level of connectivity. And so, I, I mean, that, that can be done. I mean, it, it's not just people on site, but it's also that connectivity through, uh, you know, an, a strong online presence or, you know, through uh, the use of apps and, and that communication back and forth with that customer before, during, and after the stay. I, I think that, I think when we think of service, maybe we need to kind of modify how, how we think of service. It's not just the people at the front desk, it's, it's the whole experience. What are the most important ways a hotel can increase their presence digitally? Developing that contact base is, is critical. I mean, I think the brands do a great job through their loyalty programs. You know, I, I think it's important to, you know, capture that customer information. And, and, you know, I mentioned having a, a good or strong online presence, I think, is really important. But I think as well, the, the development and, and, and encouraging people to use the apps. Um, I, I think apps are the way of the future because it, it can be interactive. People can book their hotel. They can pay for the hotel. They can add on services, um, can do customer satisfaction surveys um, through that. So I, to me, that that is probably, you know, the way of, of uh, how, to, how hotels improve that presence. Uh, as you alluded to, you know, one of the challenges many hotels face is uh, connecting with that millennial or Gen Z audience, people who've grown up online. For them, what are the benefits at staying at a mid-scale hotel versus an Airbnb? Being in the hotel business here, I think we all want to promote 
the hotel, the value of the hotel, uh, whether it's the bricks and mortar itself, I keep going back to that term, the size, the safety. You know, I've, I've always said in the past, you know, I think Airbnb provides great experiences in certain markets, lets you maybe get a little bit further into nature, for example, than, than where the closest hotel might be. But at the same time, I think it comes back to the number one item being safety and where a consumer feels the most comfortable. So, you know, if I was traveling with my family, I'd, you know, maybe a little bit more inclined to stay at an Airbnb, although I can confidently and proudly say I never have stayed at one. Um, saying that, I don't think my daughter or my wife traveling alone, I think they would always gravitate towards a, a hotel, well-lit parking lot, accountability by the brand. You know, I think that that would be sort of the the reinforced messaging that we would always want to send is that your safest experience we believe would always be in, in one of our hotels. Yeah. I, I've only stayed in Airbnb once myself and it was a very professional operation, but I agree with you. There was just a strangeness to it, to being in a room in an apartment building versus a hotel and having that sort of professional exterior. Brian, what's your position on it? I would agree with Graham. I mean, I think Airbnb certainly have their place and, you know, clearly it, it's been tremendously successful. I mean, it's impacted hotels to a certain extent, but on the other hand, I mean, hotels were operating at, you know, record numbers pre-COVID, but, you know, certainly uh, Airbnb has had an impact. I, again, I, I think it really depends on the customer and, and the purpose of the trip. And, you know, perhaps if it, you know, if you are with a family and you're staying somewhere for a week and you want to do some self-catering, obviously Airbnb is probably... Uh, the choice, but certainly for shorter trips, business travel, you know, for couples, I think hotels are still, you know, the favorite option and, and for a lot of reasons. And, and I think Graham has mentioned a number of them. I mean, I think one, one point is, is the level of consistency that can be offered, you know, hotels operate under pretty strict operating standards and guidelines. And so you're, you're well assured that, you know, the room will be clean, bed's going to be in good condition. You know, the mattresses, it doesn't have the big bend in it. You know, the linens are in good shape. There's towels, there's toiletries. And, and I think that peace of mind, I think is, is reassuring for uh, a lot of travelers. I mean, one thing I, I think it, it is interesting when you look at companies like Airbnb though, I mean, I think you have to give them a lot of credit for the whole seamlessness of the entire booking process. I mean, you, you can go through that whole process and not meet anybody. I've used it a number of times. I've never really had a, a foul up. I've been, you know, a little disappointed a couple of times at the accommodation, but I think you have to be impressed with the technology. And I, I think that's an area where hotels can certainly, you know, take some lessons from them. Yeah, I just wanted to add, you know, I think regardless of age, the experience is everything, whether it's a good experience at an Airbnb or a good experience at a hotel or, or vice versa, a bad one at either. It's the hotel company, it's the the individual hotel to make sure that that experience is, especially with a millennial or, or Gen X. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that when the experience is enough to remind you, you, you want to be able to get that guest back based on the experience they previously had. And, and the one luxury we have is that with corporate travel, you know, friends of mine that work with some of the larger corporations, Airbnb is not a accommodation that they're allowed to use or expense. So you do, you know, just through social systems or, or workplace systems, you are going to get guests in your hotels that may otherwise prefer on their own dime to stay at an Airbnb. And I think when you can cater to that guest, you do have the chance to woo them over and build them into your clientele. I think that ties into another, you know, pandemic trend we've seen as we've discussed about lots, business travel, 
and if whether you know online virtual meetings are going to take a bigger slice of the pie into the future based on what you guys have seen at the moment is that something that has merit behind it is business travel going to return to the levels it was pre-pandemic yeah, there's certainly some question around that. I think in the long term, I think most people believe that business travel will return. The, the best rationale I've heard is particularly, you know, from a sales perspective that, you know, if, if you're someone who's not traveling, as soon as you find out your competitor was out to visit your client in Vancouver face-to-face, you're going to be on the next plane. I think that competitive piece, I think, will definitely come into play and that that will see a lot of business travel return. You know, I think as well, like the work from home, uh, I mean, it's interesting when you saw the migration people out of some of the larger metropolitan areas. And we've certainly heard stories of a lot of people moving to markets like, you know, London uh, in Southern Ontario or Niagara. And, you know, they're, they're a two or three hour drive away. I think in a roundabout way, that actually could create some demand for hotels down the road because they, at some point, will be required to come into the office, right? Whether it's for a couple of days a week, two, three days a week. And so I I think there could be some newfound business there for hotels. We're expecting to see domestic business travel pick up. We were expecting it in Q4. I think it's been a little bit slow to come back. I'm on a business trip right now myself. So I, I think it has actually begun, but I think I think we'll see a, a more of that you know, next year, but it, it may take a couple of years for it all to come back. I agree. I think that the, there's two takeaways to this. And, and the first being, I believe people still want to travel. They just haven't figured out, you know, how to tie that into what's the best way to travel for them as individuals and, and for their family and from a safety standpoint and, and what's comfortable for them. But I think inherently, People want to travel. They want to get away. doesn't matter who you talk to. They'd love to be on a beach somewhere. They just can't figure out how to, to, to do that safely yet. So so like Brian said, I think the evolution of, or at least the, the timeline isn't defined yet. We just don't know when that's going to happen, but it's going to happen. You know, if you think back to compare this to say 2008 and nine, when the economy collapsed, I just remember people saying, you know, the days of fast cars and limousines and, and these big dinners, like that's not going to happen again. People will just never throw away money the way they, they have in the past because a lot of people saw rock bottom at that time. You know, and here we are probably seeing ramping up to 2019, some of the biggest spending in the automotive and housing and, and just in, in, in so many different aspects of the economy. Back 10 years ago or even 12 years ago, we're sort of ruled out by, by so many people. So I think when we look forward, I think we have to have confidence in that same sort of mindset that here we are today saying, you know, we're in a, we're in a pretty dark spot, but I think it's, it's going to get better and we're just going to see that happen and evolve naturally. On that note, we're seeing revenues start to recover in our industry, maybe not as fast as we like, as you mentioned with Q4, Brian, but when do you think we'll see values start to increase in tandem? <laughs> that's the, uh, that's, that's the million dollar question, 10 or a hundred million dollar question. Um, you know, I, I think we have seen some recovery. There hasn't been a lot of market transaction activity, but I know in the early stages of pandemic, when it was a little unclear on what the impact would be and, and the length of this, that, you know, people had talked about discounts of 20%, 30%, 40% on values that we had seen pre-COVID. I never bought into the to the higher discounts, but I think certainly if anyone had to sell at that point, they would have expected to take, I would think, at least a 20% discount. I think as we went through uh, 2020, the vaccine came along. 
I think then it just really became more of a not not if but when question, right? And and so we've been in that mode now. I think since you know the beginning of 21 with the vaccine rollout, I think everyone knew you know, we will recover. It's just a question of when. And so the further we've gone along through the year, I think that discount has begun to diminish. There is money in the market. There are certainly groups out there looking to buy hotels. And, you know, while they they might have been expecting to get significant discounts, we're not really seeing that in the market. I think for better quality assets, they're still pricing has held up uh, reasonably well. I think so clearly that's telling us that investors are pretty confident in the future of hotels in the next uh, couple of years. I agree. You know, we handle relicenses. We don't get involved in the real estate side of things, but there, there's just a number of people and transactions out there that are, are taking place, even within our own system. And 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 that's encouraging. I mean, I, I it's incredible the resilience of the hotelier and the mindset, because what's exciting about it is that the activity and the purchases that we're seeing, for the most part, are from people that are already in the industry. So it's People that have been at the top, they've been at the bottom, and they're still willing to reinvest in, in the industry, knowing and, and feeling confidently that it's going to bounce back to, to the levels that we've seen and, and hopefully beyond. I think, the, you know, one of the keys is that Graham was saying about hoteliers being resilient, and, and they certainly are, and highly adaptable. I think more than any other industry, they've really had to deal with a lot of adversity through the last 18 months. And, you know, they're adapting. I mean, they are changing how they operate. They are changing, you know, how they manage properties. And, and I think they're looking for ways to provide for their, uh, for their clientele. But I think at the same time, you know, guest expectations are changing as well. And, and there's certainly a lot more emphasis around things like wellness and eating healthy and being environmentally friendly. And, of course, now with covid you know, a heightened awareness of health and, and cleanliness. And I think hotels are, are certainly meeting those challenges and, and will continue to do that in the future. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us, Brian, lending us your time. Where can our listeners find you or follow you? At Cushman and Wakefield. Uh, so our website is uh, www.cushwake.com. And uh, we have a hospitality section there where we post quarterly updates on the hotel uh, industry and an annual report as well. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Development Insights with Choice Hotels Canada. You can find the show notes in the description of this episode. For more information about Choice Hotels brands and franchise opportunities, please visit choicehotelsdevelopment.com.